Welcome to the Specify Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Tas Nakagawa of Castagra Products. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and construction industry. Today's guest is Kyle Makrowski. He's a construction executive at Banner Health. Kyle, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Absolutely. Glad to be here. So, you know, sort of how we introduced us uh, through COA and, you know, my understanding is you're very, very much involved in the construction owner side of things. I am. I work for a large healthcare organization right now, overseeing a pretty good chunk of their capital program. Sure. And for those that understand, what what sort of things do, does that sort of job sort of uh, under intake? Yeah, so it's um, I oversee the design, development, and construction of all the various investments and activities that take place on about 13 hospital campuses throughout five different states. So if somebody wants to remodel their office or expand the hospital or build a new hospital or convert a service line from one thing to another, that would be our group. Sure. And then, you know, in terms of, you know, people wanting things and budgets and stuff like that, how do you, how do you look at prioritizing all that stuff? Oh, everything's important all the time. That's the easiest place to start. And then we go from there. We have a pretty robust internal program that goes through a vetting process to help determine how far we go and how much we invest and what the ROIs are in various projects, just like most owners. There's a lot of of nuance and detail that goes into it, but to stay sane, we try to start very high level and work our way towards a more detailed formal budget as the process continues and navigates its way through our internal system. Absolutely. So I don't necessarily need to know the details, but what are the high level considerations you know, that are important to you? Oh, for sure. On any internal project, you, you have to look at the ROI, you have to look at the market served, you have to look at the market opportunity, you know, just like any other business. You have to just look, make sure that you're meeting your customers where they are and projecting what future needs may exist. Yeah. For you, I mean, obviously budgets are always constrained. What are some of the challenges that you kind of have to manage in a position like that? Sure. Today is a very unique situation for sure compared to the last few years, as as everyone well knows, right? Our supply chain issues, our labor shortages, which people have been recognizing for the last two decades in the trades, especially all of those are on top of, of course, the expectations of do it faster, do it cheaper and do it immediate. Yeah. So with all these things changing and stuff like that, how, how do you sort of stay in touch with that? How do you, start, how do you stay sane? <laughs> a lot of bike rides and a lot of jogs. Um, <laughs> there's there's a huge part of that, right? Really what it comes down to is for, for our team, we were talking about this and we talk about this pretty regularly. And that is what is what is the value that our internal project management group brings to the to the organization? And of course, you could say scope, schedule, and budget from a pure construction project management standpoint, but we actually believe it's a little bit deeper than that. What we do believe is our value is brought by helping people navigate the process. And so with that perspective, right, if we're, and that's not just internal folks, it's our contractors and engineers and our facilities people and our architects, it's everybody on the project. And if we can better the project delivery process, 
for all of those folks, then we really are bringing value and driving good things into the organization and into the industry. So with that perspective, it makes it a lot easier to deal with all of the craziness that's going on in the world right now. Yeah. And then I, I guess, what are some of the practices that help you better that, that whole process? Two things jump out right away. One is we, we have a very robust project kickoff process that we continue to develop. You hear it a lot of conferences, especially over the last decade or so, that on larger projects, you can spend months doing team building activities and you can be doing self-awareness type of things and all these other softer skill developments that are often overlooked on most of what we do, which is renos and renovations, remodels, that kind of stuff. And so we've taken those pieces and we've said, okay, how could we do that regardless of the size of project? And Mm -hmm. so we kick off with a very, let's get to know people. And it's more than just what kind of Italian food you like. It truly is about how you're wired and how you work and how you see the world and in conjunction with a bunch of other pieces. But that makes a big difference. You know, people ask, how do you get people excited about replacing an air handler? And (laughs) there are ways to do that. There actually are ways to do that. And so another one is, is trying to keep people connected. So everyone's always chased the whole project management lessons learned thing. How do we capture all the good things that happen and all the lessons that we learned during a project and share those with everybody else? Well, in my experience, that has been a very, very nice unicorn to chase. What we've been able to do is every couple of months, we'll bring together as many of our architects, contractors, and project team members that we can into the same room to talk about different projects that they're working on for us. And then we share an aspect of project delivery. So we'll share the kickoff or we'll share risk register or we'll share budgeting issues, but we're very transparent with each other across multiple firms that we hire because if we better each other, we're bettering the industry. And so we don't make people work in isolation. We actually make them work together. Yeah. So you said between, con- so in those meetings, you bring in, you know, sort of competing contractors or like, how, what do you mean by that? You mean just that talking about the entire project with all different sort of service providers in the same room? We do. We bring in competing contractors. They've typically competed on all of the RFPs and they've all won or received multiple projects. So we're working with them in various ways on active projects. And so we bring them together. And we say, okay, you know, we're all running meetings. Let's spend two hours talking about pros and cons and what are we finding successful about meetings? And let's give examples from each one of our projects. And there's there's no you know secret sauce or or hidden keys to success by any of these folks. What I found is most of them, even though they recognize there's a bunch of competitors in the room, we're all doing the same thing and we're all trying to do things better. And if we can learn from each other, then awesome. It works really well. So the sharing happens rather quickly, right? We have good intent. We have positive intent, right? We're trying to do things better, not just do more stuff or create more value. We're trying to make people's lives better. So people understand that and they share rather quickly, which is nice. Yeah, very nice. Now you, you talked about you know soft skill development and also getting people excited about doing a simple simple task or maybe less you know let's call it less glamorous things. What are some specific examples of how you get people engaged and excited about things like that? Well, we spend a lot of time really trying to understand the people within the firms that we hire and the people that we have in our own company. And by doing that, you can better align the work with the people who are available. So if I'll give you an example, right? If I have a straight up air handler replacement, the same example I used before, 
finding an engineering and general contractor that really excels and achieves and checking the boxes, getting things done, scratching stuff off the list, they're going to excel in a project like that because it truly is just do your thing, go through the motions, take care of what needs to be taken care of. You might have a few problems throughout the project, of course, but for the most part, they're just executing and they thrive at that. Whereas if you have another air handler project that has all kinds of spaghetti issues with distribution and VAV balancing and all that other kind of stuff, right? It's more like a Rubik's cube, finding the right engineering company and contractor combination that's going to look at that Rubik's cube and go, Ooh, I can't wait to tackle it and let's examine and play with it and do things right. That team's going to thrive very, very well in a super complex, not a whole lot of direction from the owner environment. Now, often, those two examples are not looked at that way. They're looked at as projects, project A, project B. And you just figure out who's the cheapest, who's the, you know, who's available, all that stuff. But when you take the soft skills application and you look at that, take that lens and see who's going to truly be the best fit, air quotes fit, then it makes the project so much more engaging and so much more exciting because you're lining people with what they're naturally wired to do better. Sure. So that's where the soft skills piece comes into play. Yeah. So let's say you come across a project, obviously, you have not dealt with before and within your current pool of uh, resources or contractors, and you have to find someone new. What does your vetting process look like to find that alignment? Like, how, how do you think about it? You go for referrals. Like, how, how do you start that process? It often starts with a, a coffee conversation, frankly. We'll find a referral or a firm that may have better alignment to whatever the project may be. And it will be a very personal conversation. I'll reach out and I'll meet with those people, whether it's virtual, hopefully in person now these days, but we'll talk through, we'll talk through project delivery. We'll talk through process. We'll talk through how they see the world. A lot of very specific examples around trying to understand how they are wired to individually approach the project. Because even though the firm may have been recommended, I want to make sure I I don't work with the firm. I work with the people who work with the firm. So I got to make sure I understand who these people are and they got to understand who we are too, because we are very, say, different. We have some unique attributes as a client that doesn't always align with people's and the way companies are built. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're trying to be upfront about those differences to see how they answer those questions. Absolutely. Our RFPs are... Very unique experience, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> with with all the changes and things that are always uh, happening, what sort of specific trends or things that, that are you really paying attention to right now in the in the construction and the owner side? Well, that's a good question. Watching what's happening in our area of the world, so out west, between uh, we we go from Colorado all the way to California. And we've experienced a pretty long, just like most areas of the country, a pretty serious housing boom in the last decade or so. And that is really backing off, of course, with the interest rates at the federal level. And then the starts are beginning to wear off. And so looking at that, looking at the architectural billings indexes, we're really just seeing a slowdown in the industry, right? Historically, once residential slows down, then commercial follows, then healthcare and industrial follow. And so we're expecting that. We're not expecting prices to go down. I I was taught many, many, many years ago in all the years of construction, prices have never gone down. They'll slowly rise or quickly rise, but they will never come down. And so trying to do that, right? So understanding where the market's heading in the next three to five years, 
and then paying attention to how that impacts each one of those campuses I mentioned and on our long-term growth strategy and trying to figure out what our capital investments might look like. So it's really after being in the position for almost a decade of scrambling for trade contractors, GC staff, you know, manpower, design, good design talent, we're seeing a let up in the industry, which, which is a good thing. I know it might sound bad that an industry contraction is going to impact so many different people, but I think our, our industry is, is a bit overdue for that. Yeah, sure. Now, can you explain the volunteer aspect you're doing and how, I think you've already touched on it a little bit, but can you explain that piece and why that's important to you? Sure. The soft skills piece, what I found years ago was doing that just through our day job wasn't quite enough. There was an opportunity and a, and a hunger to further explore the soft skills development, right? Everyone says we're in the people business and in the, in the AEC industry, and absolutely we are. It's all built on leadership, relationships, people working together and getting things done. And so we found over 10 years ago that putting some emphasis and effort into that was a good thing. But people wanted more than just what we were doing through the organization I was with. And so a group of us formed together a nonprofit entity called Ripple Intent. And we focused solely on bringing together people within our industry to do self-awareness, self-understanding, conversations that directly impact project delivery and who we are and better explore the self-peace and the soft skills that directly come back to our industry. And so we've grown that over the years. This upcoming few months, we'll have, we, we have what we call breakfast clubs, which we gather once a month in various cities throughout the country to talk about these things. It's a facilitated conversation on pretty big topics like trust and authenticity, curiosity, things like that. Facilitated conversations for about an hour and a half, bring together everybody within our industry and have breakfast, have a wonderful conversation. And then once a year, we host a couple day annual conference. We've done them in multiple cities as well, where we bring a couple hundred people together to really deep dive on the soft skills aspect of what we do for a living over a two day period. Wonderful. You you, uh, talked about a topic on self-awareness. How do you get people to become more self-aware? We've really bought into the whole strength finders piece from Gallup that there's, there's a lot of assessments out there from disc to, to many, many others. And strength finders is a nice, happy medium. It's not too expensive to take. It's kind of instantaneous results. It's a brief test. It can take between 20 and 30 minutes, but it gives you a little bit of insight as to how you're wired. So the concept there is everybody has the same 34 strengths. It's just a matter of what's your order. And what are your top five and how do they show up? And so that really does help, but not everybody takes that. Of course, we spend a lot of time in these breakfast clubs exploring those topics. So if I were to, if I were to pick on one of the topics, say like work-life balance, if I say work-life balance, everybody listening to this is going to immediately jump to the conclusion and definition in their head of what that means. And so what we do is we say, okay, let's pause that for a second. In a, in a small group of, say, six to eight people, let's talk about what work-life balance means and actually author a definition that the six or eight people can agree to. And when you have a room of about 40 people, you'll have four or five definitions. And then we'll take it another step and we'll say, okay, now that you have a definition of work-life balance, how does that actually impact 
your work life, your personal life, and so forth. So it's a lot of probing questions, open-ended questions that when you're talking through with five or six or eight other people at a table, you start not only to become more self-aware because you're verbalizing what historically has been a surface level automatic reaction in your mind of either what you've been taught or educated or habitually formed. Now you're expressing that. And we're asking you to continue to express that and go further with it with peers. So you're safely doing a small journey with a bunch of other people. And then of course, it's a little bit harder question each as the time moves on. So over an hour and a half period, right? You'll, you'll gain a little bit of the self-awareness about yourself. You'll gain some awareness about other people at the table. And then it becomes the hard part. And it's in my example of work-life balance is how can you make work-life balance better for other people based on what you just talked about in your definition and how you're living or, or trying to live it. So it moves to application pretty quick, but it is rooted in self-awareness. Who are you and how are you wired? How do you see the world? What's going on in your head? Obviously you created this critical mass around people that are very interested in this. Did that come about quickly or, I mean, because you have a full, a very demanding full-time job. How are you able to, to, to get that one up and running? Well, I'm grateful and thankful every day for the volunteers that we have. It's an all-volunteer run organization. And a lot of those volunteers, they do travel and they facilitate these sort these conversations. They're attracted to what we do. And I am just grateful and and in awe of their energy and dedication to what what we make happen. It took off pretty quick, and I would say pretty quick. So what I found was I was working at an academic medical center up in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, when I came on board, I was turned out I was leading a group that was pretty disengaged, just burnt out, right? If they had a t-shirt, it would have said, it's not me, it's this place. And uh, <laughs> that, that kind of got my attention because I thought, well, it can't be that bad, right? So being new to the role, I was able to reach out to some other owners around the area. So I reached out to some high tech companies, athletic companies, public school organizations, just the same folks that do my job, just in a different business. And I started asking questions and started asking and found out a lot of the problems that they have are very, very similar to the problems that our healthcare team has, that our academic team has. They're all very similar, right? They've got everything we started talking about at the beginning here. They've got challenges with budgets, unrealistic expectations, schedule pressures, internal pressures, supply chain, you name it, all the same issues. And this was 10 years ago. And so I said, well, would you all be interested if we all got together and tried to talk about these things? Because we're all trying to solve the same problem here. seems like we're all trying to deliver projects. So what if we got a bunch of people together and, and presented these problems openly and said, we have these issues, let's talk about them. And surprisingly, they said, yes, let's have that conversation. So of course, it turned out that it wasn't necessarily the tools or the processes that were the barriers over a very short period of time. We realized, wow, there's a huge gap in the whole soft skills piece. And that's where we focused really fast. Everyone had the same feedback. It was more focus on leadership development, soft skills development. How do we, right? We can get all the technical stuff. That's no problem. But the common thing across all of these different entities was it's a people industry and we need to learn how to be better people and we need to learn how to deal better with people. So of course we ran really fast and we said, okay, great. How do we understand and manipulate other people? And we tried that for a while and we realized, well, you know, that's really not the solution. So maybe we should focus on ourselves. 
And that's where the whole self-awareness thing started was, you know, if we really understand who we are and how we show up and how we present and how we communicate and those, the differences between our intentions and those reactions and what actually happens. Wow. What a difference. We saw a humongous difference in people's own day-to-day joy in their job when we started really focusing on ourselves and it just grew from there. Yeah. Yeah. I like that self. We were trying to get, if they only would do this and then and putting a mirror up in your, your face and see what, what you needed to do. So that's very powerful. How do you see the future? Like you obviously have this critical mass. It sounds like it's growing. Where do you see the opportunity? There's a humongous opportunity. These conversations are, are not overly complicated to, to make happen. So we we do them in multiple cities and it's all grown organically. And so I certainly see more opportunities as the time goes on. Logistically, how we would manage that, we would figure it out. We got this far, so I'm sure we could figure it out there too. But it's really not that complicated. Somebody reaches out and says, hey, I heard about this, or I went to one of these and I want to host one where I am. And what do you know? That's That gets us started. So I see us doing more cities for sure. The annual event that I mentioned, we've we've done them right before COVID. We had one going on in Portland and Denver and Phoenix all in the same year. Wow. Uh, certainly an opportunity to do something like that as well in multiple cities again, now that we're, we are in a much better position than we were even just a year ago regarding COVID. And so there's, there's continued growth. And as long as we have the volunteers that I mentioned and the energy that they bring, there's no reason why we can't keep bringing this to those who want us to come. Yeah, makes sense. Is there anything that I did not cover that you wanted to talk about? People do always ask, how do you find the value in putting as much effort and emphasis on truly trying to understand yourself, right? Most of us believe that we're pretty good the way we are, and most of us are. We also believe that most of the people around us see the world the way we do. And if they don't, well, then there's usually something wrong with them. So what we've found in these conversations is is we can navigate through that, right? If you have your own belief system around the word trust, for example, or how you communicate, sometimes just asking the question is the first step. One of the things in in our kickoffs for our projects we ask is, this is one of the most fascinating conversations. On this particular project with this particular group of six or eight or 10 people who are the core team for the project, are we going to send each other thank you emails or not? And this is amazing, right? It's it's a simple question that turns into a, I've found there are two camps of people that answer that question and they are very, very entrenched in their camp because there is strong belief systems on that recognition versus I'm too busy. I don't need another email. And the, the, I don't say the fighting, but the discussions that take place when you ask them how, we don't say, how are you going to communicate? We are very specific. Are you going to send a thank you email? And that is often a big chunk of the kickoff because when you push it that far, right? Most teams will figure that out, but they'll figure that out over four to six months. And they'll usually hurt someone's feelings along the way. And then someone will say, I can't believe they didn't say thank you. And now that person's a jerk. And now they don't like me. And they don't like all that drama is going to take place. And it might get resolved, right? The team might be good and open and transparent. It might get resolved. But why not ask the question up front? Because that's the human behavior, right? That's the human side. I don't want to make you mad 
because I don't like getting a whole bunch of thank you emails, but I know that you might like thank you emails. So let's talk about that now before I accidentally piss you off. That is a fantastic project kickoff meeting question. And so when we talk about self-awareness, right, are we even self-aware? Are we self-aware that we, we like them and we judge people who don't send them? Or are we self-aware that we get irritated when people send them, even though the intention is to be nice? Right. So it can be pretty simple, but it also can be pretty complex and very, very meaningful. So if you have a chance to explore yourself along those lines and that self-awareness piece, it can be pretty powerful and have some pretty strong impacts. That was a great question. Well, thank you so much for sharing those tips and your story. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Specify Growth Podcast today. Make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash Tats Talks for video of today's podcast. Hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.